This is a passage from Exodus 33, verses 15 through 23. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put in your cleft, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Chapter 34, verses 5 through 9. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here. Very glad to help out um, Luke and just, I don't know, get out of town, do something different. So I hope you all don't mind me being here. You'll know in 28 minutes whether or not you mind me being here. Um, just two things real quick. One, Luke needs a mountain bike. So love gift time this year. Y'all uh, help me out. And, and uh, second of all, um, I'm, we are doing a series in my church in Fort Collins in Exodus so that's what I'm bringing you here today. I don't know where you're kind of in between uh, series, it sounds like. So we'll just have to kind of jump in the middle and wait around. And, but my hope is that above all, whether or not you know anything about Exodus or ever been to church in your life before, or even have read this passage, that you see Jesus, that we meet Jesus and know him this morning. It's my hope and prayer. And we pray briefly uh, before we begin and ask for God's help. Uh, Jesus, would you do that? Would you just be present? Uh, Would you be real? Would you make your word come alive to us? Uh, May it encourage us. May it convict us. God, may your word, may your word, oh Jesus, have the final um, and powerful um, word in our hearts this morning, we pray. Amen. It's funny, you know, when people are... uh, famous. There's a certain sort of gravitas to have a glory thing that just draws us to them. We just tend to um, want to go be around famous uh, people. And I have a cycling problem, I confess, a massive cycling problem. I love it. 
So when um, the U.S. Pro Cycling Challenge, that road race that was going around Colorado for a couple years, I think he even made a stop here a couple times, um, we had a, a stage of that uh, road race go through Fort Collins. Uh, it happened to be my birthday in August. I grabbed a couple of my friends and we just dove into this whole event. Now, I am not a crowd guy. I don't like parades. Okay, I'm not, uh, I just don't do this normally. But when all of the international celebrities and all the TV personalities, all the cycling were going to be in my little hometown, I better go jump into this, right? So I did it. So I just, I just woke up and I took my friends. We went down to where they started and we did all this stuff. And, and I was prepared to meet uh, some particular people who I thought were like the coolest ever. And some of you may know this person, TJ Van Garderen, who's one of them, right? He actually grew up in Fort Collins. I know his, his dad a little bit, and, and uh, you probably, some of you even know him. He lives here now or uh, somewhere close here. And so uh, I wanted to see TJ because he was winning the race at the time. He was fresh off the tour, and all the, the Tour de France, and all those guys are going to be there. But I knew where TJ's bus was going to be, and so I went for it. I showed up, I bought a t-shirt with a lot of white space, I brought my orange marker, and I was going to get my time with TJ. And so um, I did, and here comes the bus, and uh, there's a little bit of a crowd, and I go straight for him, y'all. I just, I pushed away children. I did. I stepped on an uh, older woman right in front of me and shouldered her out of the way, and then I reached my uh, white t-shirt and my orange marker over a 10-year-old child, <laughs> smashed his face against the barrier, and here I am, and I got a moment with TJ, and about an hour later, a friend of mine in Oklahoma texted me a picture of what he saw on ESPN News. They did like a four-second bit on the whole race, which is classic ESPN, and the whole thing that ESPN did was that moment with me and TJ Van Garderen. He's like, no way, dude, that's so cool. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so how, how awesome is that, right? How wonderful, how life-changing. Well, not that life-changing, but kind of cool. Look, I'm willing to do whatever I could to get with somebody who, in my view, is just absolutely full of glory. Now, Moses is in an actual difficult situation. This is where this analogy breaks down. And he's asking to see the glory of God. Moses is facing an unknown future with kind of a rocky past. If you read you know, Exodus up to this point, and we see God in this passage, as we join Moses, we get this glimpse of the glory of God. We get a glimpse of the glory of God. God's glory, as we will hopefully see this morning, God's glory, God's glory is in his goodness. This passage is about, or this selection of passages, is about how glorious God's goodness is. And one of the first things we see in Exodus 33, those few verses, look in your Bible, or I don't know if it magically appears up here or however y'all do it, but Moses is in a deep need to know the presence of God. This is a cry of the soul from Moses. God had rescued them out of Egypt, right? Out of slavery, out of bondage, through the Red Sea, and feeding them miraculously with manna and water from the rock. But what had just happened 
just before this, is that Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, building a relationship with God, God building a relationship with his newly rescued, beloved, redeemed people. And they decided, in Moses' absence, that they would build this golden calf, this juvenile bovine that they would bend down and worship and say, oh, you rescued us out of Egypt. Moses had lost confidence in Israel, lost confidence in himself, and he needed the confidence of God just to stay with it. Do you hear what he said? God, if you're not with us, if you're not with us, this whole thing, this whole thing falls apart. Do you hear God's answer in verse 17, chapter 33? He says to Moses in that moment, you have my favor. I know you by name. God says, I know you by name, Moses. Right now in your mess, to know somebody by name, I mean, you know this, is to be close with them, it's to be intimate with them, it's to have a friendship with them, it's to know how to spell my name right and take the dadgum E out of there. I mean, you know, to really know somebody's name is to know them. I'm totally... Um, Kidding. I don't even think the Social Security Administration spells my name properly. God knew everything about Moses. The good, bad, the ugly. In fact, in Exodus 33, just before this passage, we read this. God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Wow. That's a relationship with God. The intimacy, the friendship... This is what my soul needs in a desperate hour, too. Here, I ask God for this, Lord. I, I just want to be closer. I just need to know your friendship, your presence. Moses receives this. Then we see God, though a friend, though personal, he is not in any way manageable. He is not comprehensible in his being. The glory of God, to sum up this experience, is impossible. The glory of God is impossible for Moses to be around. But this is what God is at, or Moses is asking. God, I want to see your glory. I need, I need all the answers. But God's glory is deadly. Do you hear in this passage? God, you can't, you can't handle this. You will die if I give you my glory. He doesn't have to stand a chance. Like mildew in the summer heat. Not a chance in God's glory. And our materialness and our spiritual smallness, God's glory in its fullness is incomprehensible. You know, we can describe the vastness of the universe with equations. <laughs> but the glory of God would overwhelm our brain and our, and our emotions and our bodies all at once and crush us. And, and we just can't handle his glory. God's glory also means that he's totally sovereign. Um, sovereign is a fancy word for all-powerful over all things. And with no caveats. I mean, you may have read, we just read this. You know, God has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and that's the end of it. Like, God decides. You're like, wait a second, I have some ideas about who you should have mercy on and not, right? But God says, I am, am in charge of all of this. And, and we know God's glory and God's power. I mean, it's on display all around us in his creation We've talked about this morning. God's glory is on display as 
He's redeemed millions of people around the globe for himself and they worship him and know him. God's glory, God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty and power is holding the past together with the present and giving us hope for the future. And this is what Moses asks, isn't it? To see God's glory, to understand everything, to know all things. God, I need your glory because life is hard. But listen how God answers. Can't handle my glory. What does God say? He says, I will make my goodness pass before you. So I'm going to shield you from some of my glory, but I am going to make my goodness, my goodness pass before you. I'm going to meet you with what you need, Moses. Have you ever felt that way? Wanting an explanation for the why of things. Why am I here? Why did this happen? Why is this going on? This is not at all, God, what I thought you were leading us into. This isn't what we planned. I need guidance. What God allows us to see, though, is not the fullness of his being. It's not the mystery of his will. It's not the answer of what's coming. He shows us his goodness. God is good to Moses. He descends to Moses in the first place, like meets him where he is. He calls him a friend. He he bestows on him favor. He says, I know you. He says, I'm with you. I'm giving you hope. I'm redeeming you. God's glory and goodness and sovereignty. Now, if you're paying attention, there's a tension here. There's this tension between God's goodness and his sovereignty. His sovereignty is all powerfulness. Between God's mercy and this bald statement of, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. There's a mystery of God that I don't think we should remove. A mystery of God that actually makes God big enough that I might be able to wrap my life up in him. He's got to be bigger. He's got to be bigger than me. He's got to be bigger than this world. We are creatures. And when we can find creaturely rest and be properly humble before him, who we are, we are clay vessels, right? Not the master potters that we try so hard to be or that our culture demands that we are. But when we find our creaturely rest in this bigness of God, this mystery of God, we see God's goodness. The very famous minister, Charles Spurgeon, has an unbelievable sermon on this text. You should just go read that. (laughs) And here's one thing he says. He says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, whether in creation or in providence, between the tenderness that fosters life and the sternness that destroys life, this balance is held so steadily that we can but get glimpses of God's goodness by broadly surveying or minutely examining them. And the them, he means the creation around us, the providence in our lives, the way God's will is worked out in us. We can get glimpses of it by looking at that, by studying it. But behold, the goodness and severity of God, both intention and both real. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't. I just landed here. You know, last night I'm leaving again. I don't know. So, uh, but I will trust that God is good. But we're always in, in, in some place of need. We're always experiencing the severity of life and needing God. And, and sometimes just all goodness. You know, we just go up and down in life. And we're tempted to think God's not 
around or his goodness can't be present in when things are rough. And, you know, there, there's just a lot in our culture might speak against that. And here's one thing I think, just to mention this, it's going on in our, in our culture, but, you know, the, the debate over like late-term abortion. And the question is, you know, is something, is some, um, some child or fetus so, uh, so broken, so severely just handicapped or deformed, the danger that poses and the hardship that that imposes, what do we do? Well, there's some friends of mine, good friends of mine, from, um, uh, from seminary who uh, became pregnant while we were uh, there, about 2004. And they found late in the abortion, that, or late in the abortion, sorry, late in the pregnancy, um, that their daughter was going to have massive deformities. Uh, it, it, start, it, it started with spinal bifida and went downhill from there. Utterly, um, she'd just be utterly handicapped forever. Couldn't um, do anything on her own at all. Maybe never speak, maybe never eat of anything. Um, they uh, decided to um, uh, just go forward with the pregnancy and she was born. And Amelia, I will, Amelia changed my view and everybody who knew her and certainly her family's view of what life was like. Because Amelia... Totally broken in every conceivable aspect. Was, for everybody who knew her and her family, the most alive person you've ever met, ever. As she grew older, she lived to be about 12. She passed away in 2016. But they kind of began to communicate with her with like she could wink. They had this like yes-no system and they kind of taught this alphabet and, and, and they got to hear some of what she was thinking kind of when she was 9, 10, or 11. And she would converse with them and they would figure out how to, how to do that. And she would tell them things about what she had seen and known about Jesus. About how he had come to her. About how Jesus loved her. This is unreal. And this happened over and over and over again. And when her little brother and her little sister were like being evil little kids and driving the parents crazy and whatever, they would jump in Amelia's lap and she would just hug them and hold them and everybody would cry. I mean, I could just go on and on. Y'all, this is is unbelievable. The love that would just, if you, if you saw her eyes, like if you just see a Facebook picture of her and her eyes just coming out of her eyes, the goodness and severity of God. I don't know what to do with that. I can't explain that. Neither can their family. The goodness and severity of God. Life in the middle of what in the world is going on of utter brokenness. This is our God. This is our God. This is why he's worth our worship and our time. The second thing we see here is God secures us in his goodness, secures us in his goodness in the middle of our unknowns. In verse 22 in chapter 33, you know, it, it, it just says these things as if they were talking about the weather. Oh, it's 35 degrees and snowing a foot outside. It talks about how God, with his hand, took Moses hid him in the cleft of the rock, um, you know, put him there, and then covered him from his glory, and then passed by, and you're like, 
This would be an amazing experience. And it's stated almost matter-of-factly. You kind of have to just sit and think about this for a second. You know, there's Moses standing on like a bare rocky mountain, you know, in the middle of the desert. So that God, and God takes his hand and, and, and moves Moses and hides him and ministers to the heart of Moses with his goodness while simultaneously and with the same hand covering Moses from his total glory so that he is not crushed by it. Oh, the mystery of God. He secures us in his goodness. Spurgeon again says this. He says the full display of the goodness of God is reserved for the working of his grace in the redemption of mankind. Do you ask wherein the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared? The answer is this. Then he quotes Titus 3. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God has appeared to us and his goodness. Did you know that? In Jesus in the person of Christ and lavished us with his salvation and his goodness and his mercy and his righteousness. If I may go back um, to cycling again, which is what I do. Uh, cycling is a unique experience because you can, you can get like face-to-face, hang out with, even ride with the professionals, the, the, the people who are on the TV and the TV personalities and the best in the world. Like you can be right there with them. And it's free admission to all of these international events. You can be close to them and you can be free. It's just like the gospel, guys. Close to God and it's totally free. That's why cycling is the best sport ever. Um, so you can't do that with the Patriots, right? I mean, you can't be the Patriots coach, Patriots fan. You can't anywhere near them. So many barriers and all this stuff. So anyway, here I am. Uh, the USA Pro Cycling Challenge. And all the TV personalities there. The Tour de France winner. He's right there. And all these guys, you read about on the TV and, or on the newspaper and see on the TV. And we're here and we're trying to get a glimpse of their glory. Um, so what we do is we leave where the race began and we go up and find the steepest hill we can near the finish. Because these guys go so fast. If you're not on a really steep hill, they're not going slow enough where you can even see them. So here we are standing and, um, you know, um, on this hill. And, but, but before the riders get there, you can see along, you know, along down the road, before the riders get there, there's this cavalcade in the front of like cars and motorbikes. And the point of that is to create a barrier for the crowd so that we don't just roll, you know, just fall out of the street and like take them out on their bikes, right? So, so the cavalcade goes through and, and they make a barrier and uh, they kind of, you know, keep us hedged by. And even when the riders go by, there's still motorcycles on either side to make this barrier. But then here they come. Here come these amazing athletes uh, in all of their glory. And we're on the steep hill. And we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse as they go up this hill way, my local hill, way faster than I could dream, you know. We got a, like a taste of their glory, like a glimpse of it. And it was just a transformative experience. Maybe you've had some sort of brush with human glory, you know, like that too. That's an amazing experience, but it's still not personal. It's still not life changing. 
It doesn't satisfy my soul where it needs to be. My soul longs for a bigger glory than that. I can never get that except from God. Though God shields us from his terrible glory, he draws us in to his goodness. And do you remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 about what it is that God draws us into? Who is this rock, this cleft of the rock? What is this rock that God hides Moses in? What does Paul say, 1 Corinthians 10, 4? He says, the rock was Christ. This rock was Christ. The words of the famous hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. For thousands of years, Christians have understood that this rock is Jesus himself. Wherein God shows us his goodness, enraptures us with his goodness, yet shields us from his glory, yet draws us into relationship, yet withholds the mystery of his will. How mysterious and glorious and beautiful and good is God. God's goodness is just unbounded in our union with Christ. And all this happens as Ephesians 2.7 says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Christ is our hiding place for wherever you find yourself in life, for however right now you are experiencing and wrestling with the goodness and severity of God the glory of God, the the all-encompassing power and control of God and compared to your own smallness and weakness and struggle, wherever it is with just trial, disease, suffering, wherever it is with goodness and things are awesome and, and you're tempted to maybe say, this is, I've done all this, I've created all this with my hands. No, this is the glory and goodness of God at work in us. And lastly, we see God's goodness is revealed to us. And here in chapter 34, those verses, I'm not going to go deep into this, just um, because I don't have that kind of time. But at the end of this experience that Moses has with God, written down for us, God comes down to Moses And he declares to Moses his very essence. Y'all, this moment in Exodus 34 is is one of the pinnacle, if not the pinnacle moment in all of Scripture. It just, it it unfolds all of theology. It unfolds all of the Bible. The rest of who God is is spilled out from this moment. What I'm saying is, when God describes himself in Exodus 34 here, is the answer to the question, who is God exactly exactly? And what is he like? This is the answer to that question you're asking. Who is God? Whether you're coming into church for the first time and asking that question. Those of us who have been in church for a while are in many ways still asking that question. Who is this God? What is he like? This is God's answer. It's an unequivocal, just freely given. This is who he is. So what does God say? He says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, his personal name. He knows Moses by name. 
And God gives us his name. Yahweh, Yahweh, this is who I am. You can know me personally. He says he is merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is withholding judgment that is rightly deserved. It's me going home and maybe giving my middle daughter her allowance, despite the fact she uh, deserves the not that this week. Let's just be honest. And she's not here, so. What is gracious? Giving what is ill-deserved. It's, it is giving the opposite of what has been earned. It is giving an utterly rebellious child, to stick on that theme, a week in Disneyland when you should take away their phone and have them in time out for a year. It is the opposite. It is God saying, in your sin, while you were far from me, I have set my love on you and redeemed you and brought me into your pre- my presence. Grace giving the opposite of what we deserve. This is who God is. God is slow to anger, we read. Slow, slow to anger. Patient, long-suffering. We tend to read the Old Testament and see God like punishing people everywhere. But y'all, this took decades, years, hundreds of years to unfold. God was patient for hundreds of years with his people. Slow to anger. Patient. Overflowing um, in, uh, in love, what does it say? A flowing in, um, in uh, whatever, abundant love, covenant love. I don't know what it said. I didn't write it in my notes. Anyway, overflowing in love. And the, the word behind that love is a covenant love. It's an eternal love. It's from, it's from time, eternity past through the present into, into eternity in the future. It is a stable love. It's a never changing love. It's a forever love. A love that's totally in God himself, an outflowing of God himself. Not a love that puts him in debt with his people, not a love his people have earned. It's irrevocable. And he keeps such love, he goes on, to the thousandth generation. What does that mean? It just means it's a forever love, a beyond conceivable history love. God is love. And he's forgiving What is forgiveness? Real forgiveness is reconciling real harm and real hurt. Reconciling it. Not sweeping under the rug and saying, you're okay, you're okay, let's just go along and be friends. No, but it's paying the penalty for the real harm and the hurt that was done. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus on the cross, Romans 5. God is the reconciler, the forgiver. It's who he is. God is just. This sort of last phrase about you know uh, punishing the sins of the uh, on the children and from the fathers. This is not about God in something literally punishing the ch- our children for our sins of parents. It, that's not what he means. What he means is I will for not I will not forget sin. I am always just. Unrepented sin, the evil, the, the power hungriness, the greediness that kills throughout the world. He says, I will not forget that. I am a just God. I am just. My justice is persistent, just like my love. Y'all simply said, this is who God is to you this morning. Whether you would call yourself a believer or non-believer, whether you feel like you're an insider or outsider, 
Whether you feel like you're convinced about this whole God and Jesus thing, or whether you feel like you're far from being convinced and sure, this is who God is. He is revealing himself to you this morning. That's why we're here. That's why God has given us his word. A disciple and beloved friend of the real and historical Jesus who walked this earth encourages us when he writes in his gospel, John 1.18, John says, no one has ever seen God, and that includes himself, who saw Jesus, lucky dog. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made God known. The glory and the goodness of God is made known to us in our Savior Jesus Christ so that we, so that we may know God's goodness so that we may know him in a real way. And of course, Moses responds to this, and he falls down and he worships, and he says, you know, he just is just laid out there at the end of the passage. God answers his prayer. Moses needed something bigger. God gives him himself the bigger thing he needed. So Moses could keep going. He was simply too small. He was too weak. We're no different than him. Like, we know that. We know that. We all have need of this God revealed to us here. And we can experience him in Christ. Would you, by faith this morning, by faith this morning, hide yourself in Christ and know God's goodness? Let me pray for us. God, would you do this in us? Would you do this for us? Um, What can we do but ask? It is your hand that must move and act and it is your voice that must speak and, and overrule the voice in our head and the worries in our hearts. God, would you be powerful? Would you be active in us as you were for Moses so long ago and as you have been in the lives of your people for thousands and thousands of years? God, may we know your goodness this morning. We long and we pray. In your precious name we ask. Amen.